0: 15 and 16, it's on page 559 in the Blue Bibles. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to SOMA. I'm Josh, one of the pastors. Thank you guys for uh, braving the elements coming out here today. Big thanks especially to our volunteers. We have a team of people who were here early this morning and just really... Thank you guys for stepping up and, uh, and making this happen. Appreciate you guys. Um, also, big welcome to anybody who might be from Soma Northwest. I see Pastor Bobby, I don't know if anybody else from Soma Northwest came down today, but uh, Soma Northwest um, had to cancel today due to the school where they meet being closed because uh, of the weather. So excited uh, to be able to, to have some folks uh, both in this service and in the next, hopefully from, from Soma Northwest. And so thank you guys again for being here i'm josh i'm one of the pastors and glad that you're here Uh, we are walking through a series on spiritual formation the fact is that we are always being formed as human beings we are always being formed by something and so the question becomes how do we be formed by the life of jesus by the way of jesus how do we as a people practice the way of jesus together for the life of the world And we're kind of starting to drill down into some practices. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at this idea of Sabbath, slowing down to implement rhythms of rest in God and in his grace. I think if we're honest, we all feel that need. We live in such a hurried, frenzied society. We live such hurried lives. And this idea of of Sabbath, of rest, really resonates with us. But over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about a practice that, frankly, might freak you out a little bit. It's closely related to Sabbath. It's closely related to rest. And yet it is one that is extremely difficult for modern people. We're going to be talking this week and next week about the twin practices of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Now, even as I say that, there are a number of different reactions going on in this room. Some of you guys are like, yes, silence. And like, maybe you're a parent of young kids and you're like, all I want is a couple minutes of silence and solitude. All I want is a little bit of peace and quiet. Maybe you're more extroverted. And, and the very words silence and solitude have got you starting to, to hyperventilate right now. And you don't know what's going to happen here. Maybe, maybe you're, you don't consider yourself religious. Maybe you don't consider yourself uh, a, a Christian. And you say, what in the world is silence and solitude all about? I just wanna put you at ease, Um, none of us really know what it's all about. None of us are used to this idea of silence and solitude. Maybe you just don't understand why are we even talking about this and you're confused by the whole idea and you think maybe there's something ironic about a guy standing up there talking about not talking. And the fact is, my hope, my hope as in all of these practices is that we become a people who don't just talk about these things, And don't just think about these things and don't just know about these things, but that we become a a people who actually practice the way of Jesus together for the life of the world. See, Christians have practiced silence and solitude since the time of Jesus. It's always been a rhythm of the life of the people of God. You go all the way back to Jesus in the Gospels, and you see him practicing silence and solitude. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today. In the Gospel of Luke, there are nine stories in the Gospel of Luke alone of Jesus withdrawing to desolate places withdrawing into isolation. It was a regular rhythm of the life of Jesus. And yet it is so foreign to us, even many of us in this room who try to follow him. And as a result, our awareness of God and of ourselves and the world around us is terribly impoverished. And we go from one thing to the next, and we try to navigate life in kind of this spiritual fog where our senses are dulled to the reality of God and other people and even our own souls. Andrew Sullivan wrote a fascinating article a couple years ago in New York Magazine. So he he went to a spiritual retreat center. He had to surrender his smartphone, and he realized, I've become a slave to the Internet. I've become a slave to my smartphone. And he he discusses some of what this is doing to our society. Ironically, I read this article on the internet, so make of that what you will. But he he says this, and he ends the article this way. He says, This new epidemic of distraction, I love that phrase, this epidemic of distraction, is our civilization's specific weakness. So every civilization has weaknesses. This is the specific weakness of our civilization. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shape-shift under the pressure. The threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget that we have any. We might even forget that we have a soul. That is why I believe silence and solitude are so fundamental to the way that we practice the way of Jesus in this particular cultural moment, because we as a society suffer from what he called this epidemic of distraction. We have so many ways to escape We have so many ways to numb. We have so many voices and stimuli distracting us from what is truly real. And I don't know what it is for you. We distract ourselves with food or with work or with social media or with Netflix. Even quote-unquote community can become a way of escape. And we fill our social calendars to the point where we never have to be alone with ourselves and we never have to deal with the deep pain and the struggles and the questions and the insecurities and the doubts that start creeping up inside of us when we're alone with ourselves for more than a minute. And even when we attempt to do it, even when we try, okay, I know I should get alone with God, I know I should pray, we get alone with God and with ourselves, and what do we do? We Instagram it. We we break out our perfectly curated Bible with the underlines and the highlights and the calligraphy and the, the latte art next to it. And our phone just keeps blowing up with likes. And the next thing you know, you've spent so much time broadcasting your time with God that you've never paid attention to him. And this is why we need to establish rhythms of silence and solitude. Because in many ways, silence and solitude are fundamental to all the other spiritual practices. If we don't carve out time and space to be alone and quiet and listen to God and become aware of the presence of God, all of these other spiritual practices will fall flat. So that's what i want to do today. I just want to look at the life of Jesus. I want to see how did Jesus practice silence and solitude? And as followers of Jesus who now practice the way of Jesus, what does that mean for us? So two simple questions that we're going to be asking. One, why should we practice silence and solitude? And two, how can we begin practicing silence and solitude? Why should should we practice? What's the point? What are we hoping to get out of this? And then how? Especially in a world where this is so difficult, especially in the midst of, of busy lives, how do we begin moving the needle just a little bit? What are some small ways that we can begin pressing into this? We start with a why. Why practice silence and solitude? Take a look at this, this picture uh, right there. That's behind me. Um, I don't know anything about trees. I don't know anything about plants or agriculture or botany or anything else like that. What I do know is that a tree needs roots to thrive. A tree needs, a tree needs roots to flourish and to grow. If it doesn't have a strong root system, it'll die. But here's the thing. Notice this about those roots. Those roots are beneath the surface. They're down in the dirt. They're hidden. You don't see them. You see the fruit. You see what's above the ground, but you don't see what's going on under the surface. But without what's going on under the surface, without what's going on down there in the hidden life in the dirt, that tree will die. I'm concerned that the way some of us approach life is, I think I can be a good person. I can be a kind person. I can be a moral person. I can be a loving person. I can be like Jesus. And we think that we can do that without ever developing the deep roots that sustain the life of our soul. I think we can follow Jesus without developing the kind of root system that he developed in silence and solitude with his father. But the fact is that we will only bear fruit. We will only practice the way of Jesus together for the life of the world. We will only develop that kind of a life of love for God and love for other people if we develop the hidden life of communion with God. That's why we're starting with Sabbath and silence and solitude. Because in our particular culture, we live in a constant state of distraction and display. We are distracted from reality. And here's this thing over there, and here's that thing over there. Squirrel is over there. And we keep looking all over the place. And not only do we live in a a culture of distraction, we live in a culture of display where we we are constantly pressured to display a, a particular reality of ourselves. We're constantly pressured to curate our own persona to present to the world. And if we are not shaped by Jesus, then we will not live the kind of life that he lived. We need practices to help us sink our roots deep beneath the surface into what is truly real. And as we do that, As we do that, it's not just good for ourselves. As you do that, you begin to live this kind of life that bears fruit. You begin to live an outward life of love for God and love for your neighbors. But in silence and solitude, in the hidden life with God, in the place where nobody else sees it, in the place that is secret, that's where God makes us the kind of people who love him and love our neighbors as ourselves. We practice silence and solitude for the life of the world. This is a key phrase. We withdraw so that we can engage. That's what silence and solitude in the Bible is all about. We withdraw so that we can engage. We withdraw so we can engage with God. We withdraw so that we can engage with ourselves. And we withdraw so that we can engage with the world. First, we withdraw so that we can engage with God. All right, look back at the text. Luke chapter five, verse 15. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. What's he doing? When Jesus withdraws, he's not binging Netflix. He's not just getting some me time. He's withdrawing to pray. He is seeking to know his father. Pretty much every world religion has some version of the practice of silence and solitude. Even if you don't believe in God, even even if you don't consider yourself religious or or even a theist, a lot of people practice silence and solitude and mindfulness, because we all realize that there is something about that that is helpful. But I would submit to you that it's helpful up to a point. But that's not what Christians are talking about. When we talk about practicing the way of Jesus, we are talking about withdrawing in order to engage with God. Silence, this is what silence means. Silence is quieting down to hear the voice of God. Quieting down so that we can hear the voice of God. Turning off the noise so that we can hear God speak. That's what Jesus is doing in the lonely places. He is speaking to his Father, but I don't know if you, if you ever thought about this. Prayer is a two-way street. He speaks to his Father, but he is also listening to his Father speak to him. And it's really hard to do that when we are constantly surrounded by other voices. And so that's why silence goes hand in hand with solitude. Silence is quieting down to hear the voice of God. Solitude is getting alone to experience the presence of God. Getting alone, not just to be alone, but to experience the presence of God. That's why Jesus withdraws. Listen, Jesus is doing a lot of good things here, all right? He's healing the sick he's casting out demons, he's preaching the gospel, he's raising the dead. Jesus is a pretty big deal doing some pretty big things, and I know you got a lot of things on your plate, but I would submit to you that you're not as busy and you're not more important than Jesus. Jesus got all these things going on, and yet he withdraws to the lonely place so that he can hear the voice of his father, so that he can be alone with his father. It's not just about getting away and retreating just for the sake of retreating. We are longing to hear the voice of God and to experience the presence of God because we want to become aware of what is really real. Whether you know it or not, whether you hear it or not, God is always speaking. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. The sun came up this morning. The snow fell last night. The seasons change. The planets orbit the sun. Your heart continues to beat. That is God speaking. Do you hear him? Do you hear him speaking? He speaks to us in creation. He speaks to us in his word. He speaks to us in the scriptures. This book is not just a dead book. This is a book that God says is living and active, and he speaks to us by it. He speaks to us ultimately in his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God is speaking by Jesus, and Jesus is speaking even now, upholding the universe by the word of his power. Do you hear him? The question is not, is God speaking? The question is, am I listening? Am I listening? And if we want to hear him speak, then we have got to stop trying to drown out his voice with all of these other distractions. We want to hear the voice of God. We want to experience, we want to become aware of the presence of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, the presence of God is with you. This is the whole point of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. He became flesh so that he could be with us. And Jesus promised that he would, after he would rise from the dead that he would send his spirit to fill us so that we would always have his presence with us. The God of the universe lives inside of me. But how often do I forget that? How often do I forget that and instead live for the trivialities of life and the opinions of other people and the deceitfulness of of temptation? How often do I forget that I live in the presence of God, that every moment of my life is spent before the face of God? That's why we practice silence and solitude. In silence and solitude, we get alone so that we can be reminded that we're not alone. You get alone so that you can be reminded that you are not alone. We get alone so that we can become aware of the presence of God. And as we become more aware of the voice of God and as we become more aware of the presence of God, we don't just become aware of God. We actually become more aware of ourselves. That's the second reason we practice silence and solitude. We we withdraw so that we can engage with God, but we also withdraw so that we can engage with ourselves. When I talk about engaging with ourselves, I don't mean some kind of weird, like self-absorbed, narcissistic thing where all we think about is ourselves. What I mean is that when you recognize God for who he is, when we hear his voice, when we experience his presence, he reminds us of who we really are. You see this in the life of Jesus. If you flip back just a couple of pages, Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is baptizing people out in the Jordan River. Jesus comes to be baptized, Luke three twenty one, and this is what it says. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, and this is what the voice said. This is what the father says to his son. This is who you are, Jesus. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus listens to the voice of his father. His father says, this is who you are. And the very next thing Jesus does, Luke chapter four, he goes into the wilderness, the aremos in Greek, the lonely place to practice silence and solitude. Luke four, verse one. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. How does the devil tempt him? Verse 3, the devil said to him, here's the key phrase, the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Verse 9, if you're you're the Son of God, Jesus, throw yourself down from here three times. If If you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, do you see what the devil is doing there? He is tempting Jesus to doubt who he is. He is tempting Jesus to doubt what his father says about him. And if you've read Luke chapter four, read it sometime. He answers him three times and three times Jesus answers him by quoting the voice of his father, by quoting the word of God. He says three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. Because for 40 days, Jesus has been out in the wilderness listening to the voice of his father. And because of that, the voice of his father is louder than all other voices. I used to read this. I used to read Luke 4 and and Matthew 4 where it talks about this. And I used to think that, that Satan is tempting Jesus at his weakest point here. Right? It might be what Satan thought. Jesus has been out in the desert. He's been all by himself for 40 days. He's hangry, and he's tired, and he's isolated, and and he's going to fall into temptation. The fact is, Jesus wasn't at his weakest here. He was at his strongest. Because for 40 days, he hasn't listened to anything but the voice of his Father. He has been soaking in his Father's word and in his Father's love. So when the enemy comes to him, the father's voice is what's ringing in his ears. Friends, that's what we need. That's the biggest thing I need in my life. That is the biggest thing you need in your life. That is what we need more than anything else. We need to hear the voice of our father who loves us. Because there are all kinds of voices telling you something else about yourself. And they will tempt you to place your identity in anything other than God and in His love. Who am I? Like, who am I really? Am I my job? Am I my income bracket? Am I my sexuality? Am I my marriage? Am I my singleness? Am I my family of origin? Am I my social network? Listen, all of those things are partially true. I am actually a husband and a father and a pastor and a neighbor. But those things are true, but none of those things are the core of my identity. None of those things define me at the most basic level. What is most real about me, what is most true about me is that I am in Christ. I am united to Jesus by faith. And because of that, I am a beloved son of God and he is well pleased with me. Now, that is so amazing, and so undeserved, and so liberating, and so easy to forget. I forget it all the time, and I start finding my worth in other things. That's why we need to practice silence and solitude because if I don't, the noise and the busyness of life will tempt me to define myself by anything other than God and his love. Silence and solitude frees me up to step away and to just be alone with my father and to remember who I really am. I am the deeply loved child of my father. And when we sink our roots deep into that reality, we become the kind of people who actually bear fruit in the world. We become the kind of people, when we experience our Father's love, we become the kind of people who can love and serve the world well. And that's the third reason we do this. That's the third reason for silence and solitude. We withdraw so that we can engage with God. We withdraw so that we can engage with ourselves. And we withdraw so that we can engage with the world. Like, if you look at Jesus' life, this is what he does. He withdraws to be with the Father, but he doesn't stay withdrawn. Jesus doesn't go live out in the desert as some monk out there, he goes back out to serve. I mean, just look at verse 15. But now, even more, the report went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him. He healed them of their infirmities. Jesus is in the midst of serving people and loving people and teaching people. Verse 16, he withdraws to the desolate place to pray. And then if you keep reading in verse 17, very next thing that happens, Jesus is out there again, teaching and healing and loving and serving. He practices silence and solitude for the life of the world. He withdraws in order to serve. And see, I I think just practically there are two ditches that every single one of us in this room can fall into. Some of us love this talk. like We're all like, yes, silence and solitude. Let me get alone. Let me pray. Let me withdraw from the world. But are we out there serving? See, sometimes what happens is our spiritual practices become extremely self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about my relationship with God. we don't actually get out there and serve anybody and on the other hand some of us we just like to get stuff done like some of us you just love to get to get out there get your hands dirty make stuff happen but we're not grounded in God and in his love and what happens over time is either we burn out or we become disillusioned or we become just completely riddled with anxiety and this need to perform and we end up doing more harm than good we got to have both We withdraw so that we can engage. Because frankly, the world doesn't need another group of religious people trying to save it. The world has had enough of that. The world needs a savior who gave himself up for us, who laid down his life for us, who came and calls to him and tells us, come to me and I will give you rest, who reminds us that we are the deeply loved sons and daughters of God. And as we draw on the deep wells of his grace, we hear his voice and we experience his presence and we are able to help others experience that living water. That's why we practice this. We withdraw so that we can engage with God, so that we can engage with ourselves, so that we can engage with the world. Now, to me, that sounds really good. And then I actually go back into regular life. Then I actually go back into the midst of a busy job and busy families and busy lives and in the midst of a world that's constantly trying to distract us, that's constantly trying to get us to run from one thing to the next. And so the question is, in the midst of that world, because listen, the world's not getting any less busy and the world's not getting any less chaotic and our lives are not getting any less busy and any less chaotic. And so how do we do this? How do we actually begin to move the needle? How do we cultivate this deeply rooted life in God? How can we begin practicing silence and solitude? And I say begin there because the fact is, I think probably, I know I am, we're probably all novices at this. We're all just learning. And I don't have all the answers to you, so I don't have some kind of thus saith the Lord, thou shalt do it this way prescription for you. But what I have are suggestions and ideas, and maybe a few things that have worked for me along the way, but, but listen, you're going to have to decide, you're going to have to figure out what works best for you, but even as you think about this, but before we, before we even jump into this, I want to say this up front, you don't need to nail this, you don't need to do this perfectly, God doesn't love you any more or any less based on how or when or even if you practice silence and solitude, God loves you because of what Christ has done for you, and he simply invites you into silence and solitude as a way to become more aware of his love for you. So I want to invite you to to experiment with this. I want to invite you to practice this. That's actually the first thing. It sounds sounds almost redundant, but practice. We need to practice silence and solitude. Again, look, look at verse 16 but he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now it's important to pay attention to the grammar here. It doesn't say he withdrew. It says he would withdraw. In in the original Greek, it's a present participle. What that means is that it's a continuous action. It is a regular rhythm of his life to withdraw to be with his father. We practice silence and solitude. It's something that happens repeatedly. And here's the thing, like anything that you begin practicing for the first time, it's difficult. It can feel foreign. It can feel awkward. It can feel like a challenge. I'm probably dating myself here, but like every other kid uh, of my generation, I grew up wanting to be like Mike. And some of you guys understand that allusion to the Gatorade ad. I, I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Michael J- I grew up watching Michael Jordan on the basketball court. I grew up watching him win six NBA championships. And when you watch Jordan on the court, it all looked so natural. It looked so effortless. I remember one time watching a game on WGN, and, and, and Jordan's there. at the end of the game, and he's at the foul line, and, and they're playing the Nuggets, I believe. And Dikembe Mutombo is standing right there. And he says, hey, Matumbo, this one's for you. And then he closes his eyes and he nails a free throw with his eyes closed. Now listen, Michael Jordan didn't use the force to make that happen. He is an amazingly gifted athlete. But the reason he could do that is because he's probably shot hundreds of thousands of free throws up to that point in his life. But I'm concerned that some of us, when it comes to spirituality, we think we're going to walk out there just like 1992 Michael Jordan. That's all just going to be natural and effortless, and we're just going to be able to drift through it with our eyes closed. But the truth is that it takes practice. It takes effort and commitment. It takes being uncomfortable at times. Some of us start to freak out when we start hearing things about effort in the Christian life. I love the way Dallas Willard says it. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. As a matter of fact, it is often grace that compels us to put in the effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. See, these spiritual practices are not some way to earn the love of God or to earn the favor of God. They're ways to experience the grace of God. They are ways to receive and to become aware of his love for us. And that becomes strange. That can feel strange at first. But I will tell you the payoff is worth it. Because over time, it becomes more of a rhythm of our lives and we practice silence and solitude so that we can become saturated with the voice of God and the presence of God. And then it's not just confined to those little times of silence and solitude, but that awareness of the voice of God and the presence of God spills out into every area of our lives so that we're no longer thinking about shooting drills, but now we're simply playing the game and enjoying the pleasure of God as we do it. The first practice. Second, turn off the noise. Turn off the noise. Man, life is busy. But I think sometimes we actually make it busier than it needs to be. We allow extraneous things to take up our mental and emotional space. Now, I know I sound like a grumpy old man here who wants to go back to the Stone Age. But the fact is, for some of us, for some of us, it might be something as small, as simple as uninstalling Facebook, or putting a cap on our Netflix consumption. And I am not against those things, okay? So in the Staley House, we may or may not have watched all of the second season of Stranger Things in under two days, right? So this is not like, oh, we're some kind of Luddites and we're trying to to get rid of all this technology. But it is also about realizing that those things are designed to crowd out our capacity for reflection and to take over our mental space. I think it was in November 2017, uh, uh, CEO of Netflix, Reed Hastings, is, is giving this talk, and he's, he's talking about uh, their competition. And do you know who he says? I think you see it right there. There it is. It's not HBO. It's not Amazon, he says. It's sleep. And we are winning. We are taking your sleep. But, but, but here's the point. And like, this is not like, oh, big bad technology out there or something like that. The point is this, we need to be aware of the fact that, that sometimes we need to turn off the noise because there will be, always be more to consume. There will always be something else competing for your uh, mental and your emotional bandwidth. We are constantly barraged by information and stimuli, and we can't process it all, and we can't handle it all, and we wonder why we feel overwhelmed and exhausted. And again, this isn't easy. So a couple years ago, I I felt this happening to me. I felt like I was um, kind of getting overwhelmed, and I was becoming a slave to Twitter, So I actually gave up social media for Lent. And again, not as a way of trying to earn God's love, not as a way of doing penance, but just simply as a way of turning off the noise so that I could hear God speak. And I remember, especially those first couple of weeks, I would instinctively reach for my phone and I'd pull it up and, oh, Twitter's gone. And I ended up checking the weather like 50 times a day because I just had this drug, I had this need that I had to satisfy But I found over time that I didn't instinctively, over time I stopped instinctively reaching for that drug. And instead my instincts began to be, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to think about the scriptures more. I'm going to actually be present with the people in front of me. And so look, I don't know what the noise is for you. I don't have some prescription. We're not burning our smartphones after the service or anything like that. I don't know what it is for you. But what is it? What is it that's keeping you from hearing the voice of God? Turn down the noise so that you can hear his voice. Third, start where you are. Start where you are, just start small, but start somewhere. Like you don't need to go into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil, right? Start somewhere, start with what works for you. That might look like, like for me, a lot of times that's taking a walk or it's taking a hike. I find that the fresh air is helpful and the exercise is helpful. And frankly, it enables me to get away. It might look like finding a quiet room in your house. It might mean getting up a little bit early. It might mean staying up a little bit late. It, it depends on how you're wired and what your life looks like. And honestly, it's probably going to change over the course of your life. But find something and just try it. Just start doing it and then just adapt on the fly. A few things that, that have worked for me. One, small silences. I try to take advantage of the little moments throughout the day. Got a few minutes in the car on the drive home. Got a few minutes in between meetings. The kids are napping, which, like, if you've got more than one kid, you know that is a bona fide miracle if they are all napping at the same time. So you take advantage of that time. Some of you guys have heard of Susanna Wesley. She's the, considered what's called the mother of Methodism. She was the mother of, of John and Charles Wesley. And they say that it was her example of devotion to Christ who made them the men that they were. Right, so Susanna Wesley had 19 children. And so they, her son said that they would literally come in sometimes and like, you know, it was back in the 1700s and they wore these big long aprons and she would have her apron up over her head just trying to get a few minutes of silence and solitude from this house full of noisy kids. Some of your moms are like, yeah, I know, whatever gets me through the day, like I just gotta survive it. And so, but, but she's being shaped by silence and solitude and eventually they saw that. Listen, most of us don't have four hours a day to spend in silence and solitude. But I would imagine that we can find four minutes here and there. I would imagine that we can take advantage of these little times throughout the day where you just stop and you quiet your heart and your mind and you remind yourself maybe of a passage of scripture and you listen to the voice of God. One of the things that really helps me is a tool called breath prayers. Some of you guys may have heard of some of these. A breath prayer is simply a short prayer that helps you quiet yourself and listen to the voice of God. So I'll typically start with uh, a passage of scripture or maybe just a word or a concept from from the scriptures that I want to focus on. And I start that way, honestly, I start that way because I want to hear God speak. Because I don't want to just listen to a projection of myself. I actually want to be hearing from God. So I start by hearing him speak in the Bible. And as I hear him speak in the scriptures, I begin listening to his voice. And my mind and my spirit become attuned to hearing his voice. And I can recognize his voice when he's speaking. And so I'll take a moment and I'll breathe deeply and I'll recite a psalm. I'll recite a prayer. Maybe just even one word. I'll recite that one word. One of my favorites, 1 Samuel 3, 9. Samuel is, is being called by the Lord, and he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's very, very simple, very short. And I'll breathe in and I'll breathe out. And, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And just quiet myself and say that. And, and then that begins to frame my mind, and I'm asking God, God, would you speak to me? And then I begin to listen, and he begins to speak. And maybe he brings someone to my mind. Oh, that person, I need to go serve that person. Maybe he brings clarity about a situation. Maybe he just lands on me some wonderful truth from his word. Maybe it's some sin that I need to turn from. Maybe it's just an awareness of his love for me. But, but I stop and I listen and he speaks. And even if I've only got a few minutes, that reframes the rest of my day. And I can carry that same heart posture with me as I go into that next meeting, as I go to that next appointment, as I do that next task, I can still be listening for the voice of God and seeking to respond to him. I'll take that. I'll take a Psalm like Psalm 86. Unite my heart to fear your name. God, my heart feels so scattered. My heart feels so divided. Unite my heart to fear your name. It might just be a a word. It might be redemption or holiness, or grace, or adoption, and I'll take these things and just think about them and recite them, and then just allow God to speak. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to this. So take it, experiment with it, figure out what works for you, but take advantage of those brief moments that are built in throughout the day. So small silences. Second thing, daily silence. This is where we actually start to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna carve out time. And like for me, I put it in my calendar, recurring event in my calendar. Here are 15 minutes and I'm going to carve out this time. Like start small. You don't have to do four hours. Do 15 minutes and put it in your calendar and set a timer and quiet your body and your mind and and recite a prayer or or, or offer up a breath prayer and ask God to speak. And again, it's going to feel difficult at first. But over time, it'll become what you look forward to every day. And then the third thing after daily silence is extended silence. Maybe once a quarter, maybe once a month, maybe once a year, where you take a larger chunk. I I currently have a rhythm where uh, it's about a four-hour chunk of silence and solitude once a month, and I would love to do more than that. But start where you are, start with what works for you, and, and just be intentional about working these rhythms into your life. Fourth thing is this. Help each other out. Help each other out. The, even though this is silence and solitude, it's, not, it's also a community project. See, the fact is that our lives and our society are not set up for silence and solitude. And so we have to help each other make this happen. One of the things in our house, we've got three kids under the age of six. Like it is always noise and it is always chaos and there is no silence and solitude. And so one of the things that we have to do is Tracy and I will will trade off responsibilities with the kids. And we just schedule that into the week on our Sabbath. So she runs point on the kids in the morning so that I can get away for silence and solitude and Sabbath. And then I run point on the kids for the rest of the day so that she's freed up to do silence and solitude and Sabbath. And that is such a small, obvious thing, but if we aren't intentional about it, it doesn't happen. But that little bit of intentionality makes a huge difference. And it's not just that way for married couples. Think about your roommates. Are you being cognizant of your roommates' needs for silence and solitude? I would, I, would, I would encourage you, maybe even establish clear expectations and a clear rhythm in your house or in your apartment. This is how we're going to help one another commit to silence and solitude. This is how we're going to free up space for one another to hear the voice of God and to experience the presence of God. I don't know what's going to work for you, but the point is, don't even just be thinking about yourself. But think about how can I create an environment where other people can hear the voice of God and experience the presence of God. Last thing, last thing to remember is this. Simply, this is just something to remember. Remember that you are not alone. You are not alone. Even in times of solitude, you are not alone. Sometimes we get freaked out by silence and solitude because we think we're alone. But remember, just even as you walk into those times, remember, God, I know that you're speaking. Help me to hear you. God, I know that you're with me. Help me to become aware of your presence. Richard Foster, I love the way he says it. He says, loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. It's coming to God and just saying, Lord, would you fill me? Would you fill me with your word? Would you fill me with your presence? Would you let me hear your voice and know your love for me? Now, for some of us, That's a really scary thing. For some of us, the voice of God is a scary thing. For some of us, the presence of God is a terrifying thing. Because if we're honest about God and we're honest about ourselves, we realize God is holy and I am not. God is perfect and I have turned my back on him and I have separated myself from him. And here's what I want you to hear. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died and rose again. He took our sins on himself so that we don't need to hide from the presence of God, so that we don't need to run from the voice of God. Jesus died so that you don't have to be afraid of the silence. He died so that you would never be abandoned and that you would never be forsaken. He hung on the cross. Think about Jesus at at the cross. He hangs on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And do you know what Jesus heard back? Silence, silence, absolutely silence. And the father, for the only time in all of eternity and all of history, turns his face away from his son. That's what we deserve. But Jesus died so that we wouldn't experience that. Jesus experienced the abandonment of God so that you and I could experience the presence of God. Jesus experienced the silence of God so that you could hear the voice of god and if you're trusting in him this is what his voice says to you today you are my deeply loved son you are my deeply loved daughter with you i am well pleased i hope that you hear his voice saying that and as we press into these times of silence and solitude that's what God is speaking to us. Remember, you are pressing into these times not so that you can earn the favor of God, not so that you can make yourself some kind of person, but so that you can experience what Jesus has purchased for you in his death and resurrection. We experience that in silence and solitude, but we also hear his voice and we also become aware of his presence together with other people. And we're gonna do that together in just a moment. One of the primary ways that Jesus makes his presence real to us, one of the primary ways that he speaks to us is through the Lord's Supper. This meal that we're gonna take in just a moment, There's, there's nothing magical about this bread. There's nothing magical about this juice. It is ordinary bread and it is ordinary juice. And yet it is also so much more because the voice of Jesus speaks through this bread and this cup. Because Jesus promises to be present with us. And in our presence here today, he says, my body was broken for you and my blood was shed for you. I died so that you could hear the voice of God so that you could experience the presence and the love of God. So in just a moment, we're gonna come and we're gonna take communion. We're gonna take a piece of the bread. We're gonna tear it off, dip it in the cup and return to our seats. We've got stations in the front. We have stations in the back. But as you're doing that, as you, do, as, as you come up and, 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 and the people who are serving say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, as you hear that, that is them speaking to you, but it is also Jesus speaking to you. It is also him saying, my body was broken for you, my blood was shed for you. It is the Father saying, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Maybe you're here and, and you're not sure if you believe that. And you're, you're, you're exploring these things, and we just want to encourage you to remain in your seat while others come to take the bread and the cup, not because we think we are in any way, shape, or form superior, but simply because this is a meal of faith. This is a meal for those who trust in Jesus to hear the voice of Jesus. But, but I would encourage you, use this time of silence, use this time, and just, just ask yourself these questions. Do I want to know God? Do I want to hear his voice? Do I want to experience his presence? What's keeping me back from that? But, but listen, he is speaking to you right now. He is speaking in this bread and in this cup. He is telling you that he died to bring you to God, that his body was broken for you, that his blood was shed for you. Do you hear him? If you want to explore that further, if you've got questions about that, we'd love to speak with you after the service. Let's pray. Let's take the Lord's Supper.